about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hello, my name's Sam and I'll be reading from the pamphlet. You'll likely be reading from the Bible. Um, So you can turn to page 921 or 1617 in the large print. But your time is up. I'm going to start reading. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Thanks be to God. G'day, folks. Uh, Let me add my welcome to... Uh, Matt, it's good to be with you. My name's Andrew. I'm the senior minister here. I do want to encourage you to come along to the meetings we've got coming up. Um, Also, to those online, big hello. Um, You can't use the QR code, but if you want to get in touch, we would love that, especially as there are all sorts of things going on for people at the moment, people having a hard time. So if you want to get in touch, there's a contact form on our church life page, just neac.com.au, and you'll find it, or you can just email us, hello at neac.com.au. You can also use that while you're here, but um, you know, if, if feel free to jump online and say hello to the people who are uh, tuning in that way. Okay, I'm going to pray again as we uh, think about that short but fascinating part of Scripture. Father, teach us of the love that we owe and why we owe it. For Christ's sake, amen. On a building on the south side of our church, uh, it's just over Lenox Street, um, you, you may have noticed, especially if you've been here for a while, there is a huge piece of graffiti high up that has been there for decades. Who's seen this before? You seen this? Yeah, lots of people. If you haven't, it's just over there. Hard to see at night, but um, it reads, if you can't read it, I'm gonna read it. It says, love is the answer. Love is the answer. I think about it often because at one level, it's hard to think of a better encapsulation of the Christian message. Love is the answer. That's what Christianity is about. It's about how the love of God for us in Jesus Christ is the answer to all our problems and all our failings and mistakes. And that That love frees us to love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, says Jesus. Love one another deeply and from the heart, says Peter, the apostle. Love is at the heart of the way Christians are called to live in this world. It's in our passage, let no debt remain outstanding except to love one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law says Paul today. It's an idea that's not on the edge, but at the center of Christian faith. It inspired Paul Kelly's great song, Love is the Law. Has anybody else heard this song? 
Paul Kelly, Love is the Law. Good, good one, guys. That's great. It's a great song, weird film clip. Have a look it up. It's great. But I think about this graffiti because I doubt that whoever wrote it meant it as a summary of and commendation of the Christian faith. I mean, if they did, that's really cool. I would love to know the story, but I doubt it. I wonder if that actually might have been meant as a challenge to the church just next door. That's certainly one of the ways it's easy to hear this message today, especially since the 2017 referendum, when the Yes campaign pitched themselves as on the side of love and a whole lot of Christians were on the other side, standing against love, apparently. What has happened? For love is the answer to sound to a whole lot of people, not like a summary of Christianity, but a challenge to it. And where are we meant to go from there? Well, at the very least, what we have to do is to think about love. We've got to think about it carefully. And this is where the passage we've reached today in our journey through Romans can help us. If you just knew this evening, we've been moving through Romans 12 to 14, uh, and we're up to this passage. And, and what Paul does here is he explains the centrality of love in the Christian life, why it matters and its relationship to the law, which means the law of Israel, the Old Testament law. Um, we're only taking in three verses this week uh, because they're really important to get right. Um, and I'm going to steer us through what Paul says in three steps. Here they are. First, I want us to think about what it means to say that love is a debt that we owe. Second, I want us to understand what it means to say that love is the fulfillment of the law. And finally, I want to talk about what says at the end about love and harm. Okay, so first then, let's take in what Paul says in verse 8. Um, the passage is printed in your sheets. A lot of it's on the screen, but there's one bit where I've, I've, I've uh, PowerPoint eluded me, and there's a bit missing, but that's on your sheets, and I assure you it is in the Bible. So let's first take in what Paul says in verse 8. The section before this verse, so <clears throat> verse 8 picks up, um, after verse 7, unsurprisingly, and we looked at that last week, and right before in verse 7 it says, give to everyone what you owe them, whether it's taxes or revenue or respect or honour. Paul's talking about Christian relationships in the world and to authority. He says, give to everyone what you owe them. And now Paul moves from this idea to speak about love. He says, let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. And actually the word for debt here, see debt, it's the same word as the word he used in verse 7 when he says, don't uh, uh, give to everyone what you owe. Or he says, give to everyone what you owe. Another English translation has this, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. So it's the same idea he's moved uh, from talking about owing things to now talking about owing love. Give what you owe wherever it's needed, but there is one debt we can never finish paying, one obligation we'll always have, and that's the obligation to love. We owe love. Now, in, in passing, let me just um, side note that the first part of this statement does have things to say about 
finances. Uh, I'm not going to get much into this, though. Maybe that's disappointing for you. A few of you work in finances. I'm not really going to try and explore that in great detail. Uh, I just want to say a couple of things, because I want to get to Paul's main point, which is about love. So first, first of the couple of things I want to say, um, I don't think this statement, it, let no debt remain outstanding, is, is kind of easy, but in the other English translation, it's, it's kind of stronger. It says, owe nothing to anyone except to love. But I don't think Paul means that we should never take out a loan, okay? Um, because the whole point of verse 7, the verse before this, is that we do need to pay our debts. Well, we have debts and we need to pay them. So I think the meaning of this for us is that we should make sure we pay our debts promptly and in accordance with the terms that we receive them on so that nobody has a claim against us. That's the point. Second thing, just briefly to say, is that I'm, I'm aware that this is not that easy for some people. Um, I, hope, I hope it's not a problem for you, but as interest rates are rising and the economy seems to get more and more messed up, a lot of people in our society are going to have trouble with debt. Um, some of you may be starting to find yourself in a position where paying your debts is really difficult. Uh, if that's you, please, please talk to someone. Okay, Paul's words here are not meant to make us shrink off in shame. Uh, they're meant to help us see the goal we should be shooting for. And as with everything in the Christian life, there is grace for those who find themselves in a mess. Because that's, that's everybody at some point. Okay, so try to see this goal, let no debt remain outstanding. Try and see that not as a kind of judgment, source of shame, but as a signpost to your eventual destination. And maybe get help to reach it. Now, for a whole lot of you, this won't be relevant, but there might be one or two of you who are really struggling with that, so just wanted to say that. As I said, though, let's go back to the main thought here. Paul's main point here is that there is one debt that should remain, and that is our obligation to love one another. Now, this one another is not just the Christian community. It does mean the Christian community in the first place. That's how Paul normally uses this phrase. But the context is, Paul's talking here about our relationship with the wider world. And, he, and when he says, the, um, in the next bit, the one who loves another, he's just talking about others. Right? We, we owe love not just to the one another we see here, but to others, to those around us, those we meet, to the world. We owe love, I say. Isn't, isn't that a weird thought? Love for those we meet is not something we are free to withhold or something we, we, we should be especially praised for when we do it. No, love is something we owe. It's a, it's a debt. It's something we're obliged to give. I think there's something a bit unsettling about this thought, actually, because we're not used to thinking of love this way, as something we, we, we can have an obligation to give. We're used to thinking of love as something special and free, something that no one can demand 
or even control very much. And the reason is that love does have to do with our hearts, with our cares and what matters to us. You can't get around that. Sometimes people try and get around that by saying, no, love is a, is a verb, it's not a noun. It's about what you do. But actually, that, that, that's not... I mean, there's a truth in that, sure, but it's not quite right. Love always means what matters to us and what we care about, right? If I, if I just treat somebody well, but the whole time I'm thinking, what a jerk. You know, that's not love, really. That's just being a hypocrite, actually. Love asks something of our hearts. And that's territory we don't like to think of in terms of obligations. But Paul says that's exactly how it is. We, we owe others that they matter to us. We are obliged to love. Why? Why? Why do we owe love like that? To answer this question, I need to take you back to something Paul says earlier in Romans. So come back with me. Listen to what Paul says here in chapter 8 of Romans, verses 1 to 4. I know that's more text than you meant to put on a PowerPoint slide. Just spare me your emails. Nobody's ever emailed about that, but, you know. It's a lot of text, but just stay with it. It's a dense passage, but it's, it's worth it. We get to see here what Paul's doing. Therefore, writes Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What Paul's saying there basically is, is the way of life the Spirit gives, right? That's what he means by the law of the Spirit of life. The, the, the way of, 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 of life we're given by the Spirit. It set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That means a sacrifice that deals with sin. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now this is a dense and amazing passage. It would be great to take kind of ages to unpack it. Um, I'm not going to do this. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. And the reason it's dense is because Paul's actually kind of calling up all of this argument he's made in Romans chapters 1 to 7 and, and focusing it in here. But we can, we can get what we need, actually. Paul says, God did what the law could not do. Right? This is his summary of what's happened in Jesus. And what he means by that is that God did what we could not do by trying to obey the law. Paul's argument in Romans, part of his argument is that the law couldn't save because Israel, when, it, when Israel was given the law, it, it, it kind of made matters worse. God's commandments became a judgment. And that's what he means when he says the law was powerless to do, but God did what we couldn't do. He dealt, what, what was that? He actually dealt with sin. He dealt with sin and death once for all by sending Jesus to be a sin offering that condemned sin in the flesh. All of that's just saying God actually dealt with sin. That's the whole point of the gospel. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then come and talk to me afterwards. I would love to tell you about it. God has actually dealt with sin 
in Jesus in a way that we couldn't deal with it on our own. But then we get the key point for us, and it's really that last verse, verse 4, that I want to focus on. In order that, so God did all this, he did this act, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. And the word there for fully met is actually just fulfilled, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. It's the same word as in chapter 12. Okay, why have I gone to such lengths to say all that? Well, this is why Paul says in our passage that we owe love. Because that is the whole purpose of what God has done in Christ. He's he's shown this grace. He's done this incredible thing in sending Jesus to be a sin offering. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Because that's what happens in love. See the the last bit of verse 8 there? You'll have to look on your sheets. This is the bit that's not on the screen. See the last bit of verse 8? He says, for whoever loves has fulfilled the law. Love, you see, is the way in which God's purposes will be achieved. Because through love, the requirement of the law is fulfilled. Love for others is the whole point of God's work. God did this in Jesus. If you're a Christian, God sent Jesus to be a sin offering for you so that you would love. And that's why we owe it. That's why it's a debt. Because God, it is the whole point of God's purposes. How, how though? How, how is this right? How is love the fulfillment of what the law requires? How does that work? Well, this is what Paul goes on to explain in the rest of the passage. Okay, and we're going to take it in two steps. First, we're going to talk about love and the law. See how he goes on in verse 9? He's just said, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And now he goes on to explain what he means. Verse 9, he says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, The commandments Paul mentions here are taken from the Ten Commandments. There's a nice, arty picture of them in Hebrew. Actually, that that text could be anything. I can't read it, but let's assume for now it's the Ten Commandments. Uh, They're found in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you've never read them, read them. The Ten Commandments are the kind of anchoring center of the whole law code of ancient Israel uh, that that governed Israel's life. Um, The ones Paul mentions here are commandments 6, 7, 8, and 10. He skips over the commandments that are about obligations to God at the beginning, and he misses the commandment to honor your father and mother, and the command not to give false testimony, which is number 9. I suspect what happened was he started at number 6, and he went 6, 7, 8, and 10, and then he realized that he'd missed one, and so he said, oh, and whatever commandment there is. Okay, but he can do that though because he makes clear that he's not just—he's not just—he's he, not doing the detail, right? He's—he's he's not trying to give a full list. Um, he's making a big point about love and the law. 
He's not trying to spell out all the details, okay? Okay, so what is his big point? It is that love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. But what does that mean? Well, most basically, I think we, we see here, it means that love is the way in which a person can successfully obey the commandments. Love is the way a person can do what they require. For you see, says Paul, the commandments are, in a sense, they're summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself, which is actually also from the law. It's from Leviticus chapter 19. If we love, then, then we do what these commandments are actually on about. Now, that, at one level, is pretty straightforward, right? Paul's saying, love's, love is the answer. That's what the law was always on about. That's what we've got to do, is to love one another. But it's worth pausing a little longer over this idea that love is the fulfillment of the law because it tells us something about both the law and about the, the love that fulfills it. Okay, and tells us something about the kind of love Paul's talking about. So I'm just going to spend a little bit of time on this. So on the one hand, the fact that love is the fulfillment of the law tells us something very important about the law. Um, it tells us that the aim of the law, and, and here I'm talking about the law, as I said, in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the second to the fifth books of the Old Testament, Israel's law. It tells us that the aim of the law, its purpose, its goal, what it was about, is love. The law was not designed to be an end in itself. It was designed to lead to something, which is love. That's interesting because that's not totally obvious when you read the Old Testament law. When you read the Old Testament law, there are moments that speak of love like this, the one Paul mentions in Leviticus 19, verse 8, love your neighbor as yourself. But you, you, you might not actually automatically reach the conclusion that love was the center of the whole thing, the key that unlocks it. If, if you don't know what I mean, just have, have a read this week of, of parts of the law. Love is there in the law, but, but, but is it the whole point of it? That's not obvious. In a way, love is, is like the secret of the law. Let me give you an illustration that I have found helpful to think about this. Um, here you've got a poppy bud and a poppy flower, and the, you can just glimpse the poppy inside it, right? I like poppies, they're, they're great. Anyway, a beautiful flower is the fulfillment, we might say, of the bud. Right? That's the purpose of the bud, to get to the flower. But if you had never seen a poppy before, if you had never seen a flower like this before, you couldn't know from looking at the bud what it would become, could you? Especially if it was even more closed and it was just that kind of furry ball of weirdness. It's like that with love, with the law and love. The law hides the flower of love within it. And at the right time, it comes into bloom. Knowing this, I think, changes the way we think about the law. Um, 
The law can seem hard and harsh at some points, a little like a flower bud can seem sometimes. But it is that way in order to preserve and grow something precious and beautiful. So this is important to remember about the law. It helps us be, be kind of understand what the law is about. But it also helps us see that the law is not an end in itself. It's not the purpose. Christians always, Christian ethics and Christians, they go wrong when all their talk is based on the law and they forget they forget that the point of it is love, right? Is actual genuine care. But they are connected, and that leads us to, the, to what we see on the other hand, which is that the fact that love is the fulfillment of the law also tells us something about the kind of love Paul is talking about, the kind of love we owe. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the flower that emerges from this bud, that is, love has a shape and a structure that emerges from and is consistent with the law. The love that we owe others, the love that is the answer, the love that Paul's talking about, you see, has a moral shape. That's what this means. Love is not disconnected from questions of right and wrong. It, it has a moral structure. You see, if, if love is the fulfillment of the law, then that means that the law sets boundaries, must set boundaries on love. Love cannot be the fulfillment of the law and also forget it, ignore it and reject it. Love is more than the law, but not less. Now, at some points, nobody has a problem with what I'm saying here, the idea that the love we owe the world, the love that is the answer, is, is, has a kind of moral structure. At some points, people, agree, people naturally agree with this, right? Take the example of stealing, the commandment, you shall not steal. Not many people are going to argue that if it's done for love, it's okay to steal from people. If someone stole from you because they wanted to give to the poor, because they love the poor, that might be a good goal, I'm glad you want to give to the poor, but it's not okay, is it? If someone stole from you because they really cared about you and they felt that the thing that they stole was doing you harm, right? Imagine somebody stole your Maserati because anybody, did anybody have a Maserati here? I'm guessing no. Somebody stole your Maserati because they loved you so much and they felt that it was making you a, a kind of a vain git, right? And, and so they had to steal it. I mean, again, there's some noble thoughts in there, right? I'm glad you care about me, but that's not okay. You can't do that. Love goes wrong when it fails to respect this boundary marked out by the commandment that you shall not steal. But there are other points where people have a lot more trouble with this. Take another commandment from Paul's list. We'll just stick with the ones he mentions here. Paul, Paul, Paul the, the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery, actually, which, which most basically adultery means having sexual intercourse with someone in another marriage or outside one's own marriage. 
Adultery is frequently justified on the basis of love. And a lot of people think this is okay. A thousand movies and TV shows conclude that the crucial question for sexual ethics is whether people love each other. Well, not, not the love that Paul's talking about. If love is the fulfillment of the law, you see, then that is not, that's not love working properly. That's a malfunction of love. You shall not commit adultery. That is one of the boundary markers that love has to respect if it is to flower properly, if it is to be useful to the world. To commit adultery because you love someone is a failure of love. It is love losing contact with the stem that made the flower. The love we owe one another, friends, the love we owe the world, the love that really is the answer, is, is not just a free-floating, shapeless love, a formless ad, you know, um, desire and affection for others. It is the love that is the fulfillment of the law and so grows from within the law's boundaries. And so we need to keep learning from the law, from God's commandments, learning about the boundaries of love. That doesn't mean we are any more bound by the law. Um, we could go on about this for ages, but Paul makes it really clear that Christians are not kind of under the law in the same way, okay? We don't have to keep, you know, all the, um, the ceremonial requirements and things that Israel had to, right, and all, all the food laws and things. We're not under the law in the same way, and yet we, we cannot afford to forget it. We cannot afford not to learn from it because love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, the final thing to say in this passage uh, helps us understand a little better what this, why this is and what this means. That's a big conversation we could go on for a while about, but let's just see this last thing. Right at the end, Paul says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, here again, we meet a, a common way of justifying many actions. It doesn't do any harm. It, if it doesn't harm someone, it's okay. And at one level, the Bible agrees. The problem comes, though, with that word harm. These days, what we mostly mean by this is how someone feels about something. We understand harm subjectively. Now, this has become famously difficult today. If someone feels that something is harmful, then it is harmful. And by the same token, if somebody doesn't feel that they're being harmed by something, then who can have a problem with that? If everyone is okay with something, then why object to it? That's just not what Paul means by harm, though. The word he uses for harm also just means bad or evil. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to know this. Other English translate it that way. Uh, the NRSV has love does no wrong to a neighbor. The old English version has love doth, doeth no ill to a neighbor. 
Um, it's not just about, you see, whether a person feels attacked or injured. It's about whether a person is really done wrong. When Paul says love does no harm to a neighbor, he doesn't mean that whatever we do from feelings of love and motivated by a sense of love or desire is good as long as the person, other person's okay with it. He doesn't mean that. He means that love, real love, the love that we need, seeks a neighbor's real good and so always rejects what is harmful to them, that is what is truly bad for them what truly wrongs them. And that is why love never forgets the law. It never forgets God's revelation of what human beings are. It's why love has to keep learning from the Bible what we're like and what's good for us, how human life is meant to be lived and what it is for. Love does no harm to a neighbor, a neighbor and so it never forgets God's law. It never ignores the truth. It seeks guidance about what is good for people, and it pursues it. You know, we read Psalm 119 before, uh, before we introduced. Psalm 119 is all about this. It's all about how the law of God is actually the path of freedom. I don't know if you noticed that incredible sentence, I will walk about in freedom, for I've sought out your precepts. Uh, Psalm 119 is all about that, how it's, it's truth, you see, that shows us the way of real life and freedom. Okay, I'm not going to get too distracted by Psalm 119. I love it, but that's not what the sermon is about. Let's finish up. Love is the answer, friends. Love is the answer. But not just any love. Not whatever we think and feel is love and whatever we call love. There is always good in love, I think, in our feelings of admiration and even our desires for others. There's always some good in those, but the love we owe, the love we owe one another, the love we owe the world, is a love that has a shape and a weight. It is the love that flowers from the bud of God's law, that fulfills it and so never forgets it. It is love that does no harm, but not just according to our subjective impressions of what is bad for us, but according to the truth of it. That is the love that God calls us to and that we owe because of his grace in Christ, because that is how God has loved us. Let me just say at the end, God did not give us what we just wanted what we would have chosen or felt we needed. He gave us what we really needed. God came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise from the dead for our salvation, to be a sin offering and rise into perfect life and call us into it by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's love for us, you see, has a shape and a weight And it does something to us. It makes us more like Jesus. Those God foreknew, Paul writes in in Romans chapter 8 again, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's love conforms us 
to Christ because that's where true life and freedom lie. That's what God's love for us is like. It is powerful and concrete and specific. It changes us, it corrects us, it transforms us. But it is no less love for all that. I just love, I just love this painting by Natalia Rusetska. Ukrainian, still alive. I wonder where she is. I hope she's okay. It is love. We are not just a project for God, a burden, a task he has to fulfill. We're not like a a difficult model he's trying to put together and really kind of getting a bit frustrated with. No, we are beloved. Fierce is the passion that fought for us on the cross. Against all odds and for no reason but his own, the heart of God burns brightly for you and for me. And at the greatest cost, he loved us for our salvation. I am convinced, these are the words from this great song we sang before. I'm convinced, says Paul in Romans chapter 8, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what the love of God is like. And it shows us the way that we need to learn to love one another. Love with a love that is strong and good and truthful and that guided by God's word and its guidance about what is good and evil takes the true good of our neighbor to heart. Owe nothing to anyone, brothers and sisters, except to love one another like that. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.